Actually, we're starting a new series, and I'm excited about the new series. It's called Why We Do What We Do. So for the next several weeks, I want to talk about things that we do in the church that maybe some of you are like, why do we do that? You know, things like, you know, why do we pray? Why do we do baptism? Why do we do communion? Why do we do tithes? Why do we do offerings? Why do we have to love our neighbor? Why do we do missions? There's a lot of things that we do in church that sometimes you're probably like, what's the purpose? So we want to talk about these things. We'll talk about harder subjects too of, you know, why do we get married? What's the point of marriage? Is it even relevant? Or why do we abstain from sex before marriage? Talk about that. You know, what is the role of sex in marriage and sex in the church? And talk about pornography. Is it a big deal or is it a big issue? So we want to talk about some of these topics that we are comfortable with and some of the topics that, frankly, you're a little uncomfortable with, but it's the church, so we should talk about them. So that's going to be this next series that we're in, specifically why we do what we do or Probably some of it will be why we don't do what we don't do, just to kind of give us a little better understanding. You know, a lot of the things we do in Christianity, we do out of obedience to God because we know the Bible says to do it or not to do it. But sometimes it's really helpful to know the reason why behind it. You know, it's great to have obedience, but sometimes God wants to give us a little bit bit of understanding because it helps us understand the purposes that he has for our life or to help us understand the plan that he has for our life. So we're going to do that over the next several weeks of just kind of talking about some of these issues of why do we do them? And if you have any questions or maybe you have a, hey, I would like you to do a sermon on this. Oh, I just walked on a bad road. <laughs> you can ask me and maybe I'll do it. I should not have gone there. Stick to your notes, Jack. Stick to your notes. All right, so all right, let's change subjects. So several years ago, I spent my very first Christmas uh, in after Becky and I were married 23 years ago, I spent my first Christmas in Colorado uh, married, and it was kind of an unusual Christmas 23 years ago because my very first Christmas that I was not in Michigan. So I wasn't with my family. I wasn't with all my family traditions. I wasn't in Michigan. I was with her family in Colorado enjoying all these different traditions that her family did. So it comes Christmas morning, and her whole family were all at her parents' house, and her two sisters are there, and their husband, and all the grandkids are there, and, and all the kids are excited, and it's Christmas morning, we're going to do gifts, and so all the adults go into the living room, and we're sitting down, and Becky's dad, who is, let me say, uh, the most efficient person I've ever met in my life, to say the least, and... All right. He died. So <laughs> probably if I figure that why is he crying already? So anyway, it's Christmas morning, twenty-three years ago. We're all in the living room, all the adults are sitting down. And we're all sitting down, and Becky's dad walks through the living room and he hands every adult a steak knife. And I'm like And I'm like, there's no steaks cook- cooking in the kitchen. And I thought, everybody else is going along with it. Like, okay, I got my steak knife. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to ask questions. I'll just go along with it. So we're all holding our steak knife. I'm a little cautious at this moment. <laughs> and then the first person gets their gift, and I realize what the steak knife is for. It's to help you open the present. Yeah, 
How many families do that? Her family does that. So it's the most efficient opening your Christmas presents I've ever seen in my life. You take the little steak knife, you cut off the bow, you cut the ribbons, you slice the paper really nice, you reuse the paper. I mean, it was like a Dutch Christmas. And it was a beautiful thing. So everybody had this little steak knife. Everybody knew what was going on. And um, I don't even know where I'm going with this story. So, um, so it, it's, it was just part of their tradition. It's kind of what her family did today. And I think sometimes the steak knife on Christmas morning is sort of like baptism in the church. It's something that we do, but sometimes we really don't know why it's there. It's something we know we're supposed to do, but we don't really have a good understanding of what does baptism really mean. And kind of like that steak knife, you're like, I could open my presents just fine without that steak knife. And that's kind of like baptism. I think some of us are like, you know, I can do fine without that, without that baptism. I really don't have to have it. But sometimes life works a lot better with baptism in it. So I want to talk about baptism today. I want to talk about the reason we do baptism. I think sometimes a lot of us in life, we look at baptism, we don't understand it totally. And so we treat it like that steak knife thinking, eh, is it really that big of a deal? And it is a really big deal. It's such a big deal in the Bible that the Gospels talks about when Jesus was baptized four times. Every book of the gospel mentions Jesus' baptism, and the reason it does that is because it's a significant event in the life of Jesus. And if it was significant in the life of Jesus, then we can only imagine how significant it would be in our life. And that's why God puts such a big emphasis on baptism, because it was a big event for Jesus, and it needs to be a big part of our life and part of our Christian life. So we often just look at baptism just like it's some routine that we do, that we just kind of do it after salvation, that we get baptized. And I think it's great. It's great to do it out of obedience. But I think God wants us to really understand what is the purpose of baptism? What does it really do in our life? See, baptism has a lot of symbolism. It has a lot of, a, a lot of a, a, a symbolism to speak about our, resurre- about our relationship with Jesus Christ. But at its core, there's a lot of spiritual power that happens in baptism. There's a lot that happens in baptism. So I want us to come today to baptism and to the people being baptized today, or if you've been baptized to remember, to come with great expectations. To come with great expectation that God is going to do something powerful in your life at baptism. Because he did something very powerful for Jesus when he got baptized So we should all have the expectation that when we get baptized, God is going to do something very, very powerful in our life that goes beyond symbolism. There's a lot of benefits to baptism. We read in Mark 6, 16, verse 6, when Jesus, after he um, was resurrected from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and he said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so some people read this passage and they think, are you saying that I have to be baptized in order to be saved? And I just want to make it clear right now that you do not have to be baptized before you are saved. Salvation comes before baptism. Salvation is always a free gift from God that's given to each of us by his grace. God gives us the gift of salvation. If we had to get baptized in order to be saved, then salvation would no longer be a gift. 
It would be something that we have to earn. And I just want to make it very clear here today that salvation is always a free gift from God. And we never want it to get confused and say, suddenly now we're earning it. See, the truth is, for a lot of people, it can be very difficult to receive salvation as a free gift from God. It's hard. You know, we're used to paying for things. We're used to, like, I got to earn it or I got to deserve it. And maybe if you've had a really... exciting background and you come to Jesus and you're like, hey, I got this big pass I'm carrying around with me. Sometimes it's hard to just understand that God freely gives salvation. So a lot of people think I got to earn my salvation. I got to work for it. So sometimes when people come to baptism, they think, ah, I have an opportunity to kind of do something to maybe earn my salvation. And I just want to make it very clear that if you get baptized today without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, without salvation, or if you get baptized because you think you're earning your salvation, all that you're doing is getting wet. There's no spiritual significance of, salvation, of getting baptized without a personal relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ. See, in the Bible, it talks about um, what, what, what are the qualifications then to get bit baptized? What is the qualifications? Who can get baptized? So I want to boil it down to two different uh, qualifications or two questions that I would ask each person that wants to get baptized. Number one, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and acknowledged him as the only way of salvation? That's question number one. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life? And do you believe he's the only way of salvation? I added only way of salvation there because in our culture nowadays, so many people have this idea that all roads are eventually going to lead to heaven or all roads are going to eventually lead to eternity with Christ. And that's really not true at all. There's no evidence for that in the Bible. Instead, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the second question I'm going to ask is, have you repented for your sins and made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ? See, this is a very important part of it. Do you live a life of repentance? See, repentance is key. There are a lot of people in this West Michigan area, and there's other places in the world, but I think we happen a lot in West Michigan who claim to be saved, but they've never lived a life of repentance. Repentance isn't part of their life. It's not really part of their vocabulary. It's not part of their relationship with Jesus. And all through Scripture, we see the word repentance used. In Acts 2, we're going to talk about that a little later, but when Peter addresses the crowd, he tells the people, you need to repent and be baptized. So repentance and belief go together. They go together, and I want to highlight that today because we have to remember that repentance has to be a critical part of our walk with Jesus. So some people are like, well, how do you follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, let me explain. In order to follow Jesus means that you're going to follow the Bible. See, all through Scripture, Jesus is called the Word of God. Jesus and the Word of God is the same thing. So to follow Jesus is to follow the Word of God. If you say, well, I follow Jesus, but I don't follow the Word of God, well, that doesn't make any sense. Because in order to follow Jesus, you need to follow the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean when you come to become saved or you come to understand what Christianity is all about, you understand the entire Bible, you understand everything in there. No, that takes a while. But part of salvation, part of repentance means you're going to turn away from doing the, what, the, the things away that you've done, and you're going to now turn to follow what Jesus says in the Bible. That maybe you're going to become, when you um, 
receive Jesus as your Savior, maybe you understand part of the Bible, and as you grow, you understand there's more written in that word. There's things in my life i got to change or i got to do different. And that's part of following is what you learn when you read in the Bible. You make a commitment to following. None of it, we don't expect anybody who's going to be perfect that you can become baptized if you live a perfect Christian life. No, none of us are there. But what baptism is all about is that you lead a life of repentance. So when things, when you're having a hard time following or maybe you're stumbling, you're not doing so well, that you fall back on repentance. You fall back on the grace of God and repentance. So that has to be a key part of our life in order to keep growing in the plans that God has for us. So what is baptism? What does baptism really mean? You know, what is baptism? What, what, what's self-purpose? See, sometimes I think it's awkward because people are like, you mean I got to get wet? You know, we do immersion here today. We'll be going to Crossroads Church, and they're going to have this tank up front. And we go wet. We go under. And I think sometimes we're a little uncomfortable with that. So what does it mean? We go to passage like Romans 6. And in Romans 6, it says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in his baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by his glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him again. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will, no, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, we live for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. So what does all this mean? See, what Paul was asking some believers, he was saying to them, okay, now that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, does it matter how you live? He was saying to them, hey, you're going to heaven. Jesus died for your sins, your past, present, and the future. Does it really matter how you live? And that's what he's addressing in this passage. And he's telling people, no, it matters how you live. And he's explaining to people that how they live, he's using baptism as an illustration to help them understand what happened when they received Jesus as their Savior. So Paul's going to instruct people on what is the meaning of baptism. He's instructing people here on what is the symbolism of baptism or what is the significance of it. Paul goes on to explain that baptism unites us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says baptism gives us a great picture of what happens when we become a Christian. Now, I want to uh, do a little caveat here. In the, in the New Testament, when it talks about baptism, it usually uses three different words. And the words are always to either dip or submerge or plunge. It's always a concept of going under. And that's why we do baptism by submersion here, by completely going under. It was part of the, uh, the New Testament when they would talk about baptism. So Paul explains that during baptism, what we do is we come into the waters kind of like representing our own sinful nature. 
And then we go under the water to be cleansed by the water. And then we come out of the water a new person. So Paul's saying, remember to the believers, remember your baptism. Remember what it meant. See, salvation is reminding the people, this is like you going into the waters of baptism. Your old person, your old nature, with your old sins, with your old beliefs, with your old struggles, with your old insecurities. He's saying, remember, that's who you were before you got saved. But when you got saved, it was like coming into the water and getting completely underwater and letting the gospel message of Jesus Christ touch your entire body and let it cleanse over you and you come out of the water a new person. He's saying to them, remember, you left that old nature in baptism. You're a new person now. You're a new person, so don't go back and act that way. Now, we all understand that doesn't mean just because we got baptized, everything's going to be perfect. But we understand there's a change. There's a difference that happens out of obedience when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to make sure that we all know, too, that baptism is not a sign of maturity. It is not a sign that you have completed X amount of classes in Christianity or that you got all of your struggles worked out or you got all of your insecurities worked out or all of your challenges in your life worked out. No, it doesn't mean that you have arrived and now you're good enough to get baptized. It doesn't mean that. See, what baptism means is that you have a commitment to following Jesus, to let him work out all those issues in your life. Baptism is just another mark of surrendering to Jesus, saying, I know, I got some issues in my life, but I want that picture of going in the tank to be baptized, in that picture of you cleansing me, and I want to move forward with you in my life. See, baptism is a statement to the world. It's a statement to the world that I'm no longer part of the kingdom of darkness. I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. And sometimes when we make a statement like that in front of a group of people and we take the vulnerability to go under and come back up, sometimes that helps solidify the decision that we made in our heart. Sometimes going through that act of doing that, being vulnerable, you know, come on, that's not fun to get wet in front of a bunch of people watching you and come out when you're the only one getting wet. It's different if you're at a pool party. But there's a level of vulnerability that goes into that that you're willing to come out and look like you're wet. It helps solidify our decision that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And in return, I think it's often a catalyst to advance us deeper into our walk with Jesus Christ. So my only question to people that are getting baptized today is the two questions earlier. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as the only way of salvation? Have you done that? Number two, have you repented for your sins and made a commitment to following Jesus and you're really doing it? Then you're free to get baptized. That's the qualifications that we see in baptism that you're a follower of Jesus and you want to keep on following Jesus and you're really doing it. So what did the early people think about baptism? You know, we have this passage in Romans 6. That's written about A.D. 57. You know, so Jesus has been gone for 20 years or so. And Paul's writing about this. He's writing about the significance, meaning of baptism. And so what did these early people, what did these Jews and Gentiles think in the first century about baptism? You know, when Paul brought it up, did they all understand what he was talking about? See, if we go back, you know, some of you remember that um, uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist about 30 years before Paul writes this. 
And so John the Baptist is going around town telling people you need to repent for your sins and be baptized. So what did these people think about baptism? I mean, it's kind of strange to us sometimes, and we've grown up in the church that you actually would do this. What did people think back then? Did they have a paradigm for it? Did it make any sense to them? See, it's good to look back at the Old Testament culture, and you remember in the Old Testament that in order to have your relationship with God, you didn't have Jesus Christ there. You didn't have Jesus Christ make an atonement for your sins. You had to make atonement for your sins through sacrifice. And so the people of the Old Testament knew that when you sinned, you would have to make a sacrifice for your sin, and often you would have to do some kind of ceremonial washing. They knew that part of your forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament for followers of God was often sacrifices and some kind of ceremonial washing. So Jesus comes in town, and he says, we got a new plan going here. You're not going to have to sacrifice anything anything anymore because I'm going to be the sacrifice for you. And you can get baptized once in the name of Jesus and it's going to take care of you for the rest of your life. So he comes with this new plan. So the raises the question, you know, why then was Jesus baptized if baptism, if John the Baptist is saying to people, you need to be repent of your sins and be baptized, and why is Jesus getting baptized? Jesus had no sin. Jesus did any, didn't do anything wrong. He had a clean heart. He had lived a pure life. So why is he getting baptized? I mean, if you're in line that day and John the Baptist is baptizing people and you see Jesus in line, you're going to assume that guy sinned because he's following the rest of us. He's going in the water to repent of our sin. That'd be a very good assumption. But Jesus had no sin. See, what Jesus was doing the day that he was baptized he was beginning his ministry of substitution. See, the day that Jesus was baptized, he didn't go to the water to repent for his sins. He went to baptism to repent for our sins. See, when Jesus went to get baptized, he was repenting for our sins because Jesus would ultimately die as us, not just for us but he would die as us. J.D. Greer paints this illustration. I think that's very helpful for us to understand how Jesus died as us. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor, and he said, imagine all these people that are going to go get baptized that day with Jesus. So you got a bunch of people in line that are going to get baptized, and they all have name tags on them. So one, I would have my name tag, Jack, and underneath it would say Sinner. And then Becky would have her name tag saying Becky and saying sinner and Lori would be in there and have her name Lori and sinner and then Jesus comes up and Jesus has a name tag that says Jesus but underneath his it says righteous he's the only one getting baptized that has a name tag of righteous because he was without sin but everybody else in line had the name tag of sinner and so what Jesus did on that day when he was baptized He walked through the crowd. He walked through the crowd. And he took our name tags. He took everybody's name tag that said sinner. 
And he took that and he put him on it. And he put that on himself. He walked through the crowd and took everybody's name tag and he put it on himself. But the beautiful part of substitution is that in return, Jesus gave us his name tag that said righteous. That's what was beginning to happen when Jesus got baptized is we started to see the picture of substitution that Jesus would be baptized and ultimately die as us so that we could have the name tag of righteous. In 2 Corinthians verse 5 it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's what happened when Jesus took our name tags. And because of our righteousness through Jesus, we can have a relationship with God the Father. And because of our relationship with God the Father, we can expect the same thing that happened to Jesus at his baptism to happen to each of us. And that is the anticipation and the expectation that we have at baptism. That God is going to do something powerful in our life like he did to Jesus when he was baptized. So what happened to Jesus when he was baptized? We read in Matthew 3, verse 16, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's what happened to Jesus when he was baptized, and we should expect the same thing to happen to us. See, the first thing that happened to Jesus was the heavens were open to him. That meant his relationship with God increased. That he had better revelation and better communication with God. That the heavens were open to him. That he understood God and he understood the Bible, maybe in ways, well, Jesus understood it perfectly, but I see the picture here of the heavens were open to him which is a sign of better communication with the Father. And the second thing that happened is the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit that comes on us. And why does the Holy Spirit come on us? To give us power. And that's what happened to Jesus. And the third thing that Jesus heard from the Father is affirmation, that he was a son. And he heard affirmation from God for who he was. He understood his identity. And you're like, well, Jesus was perfect. Why did he need those things? Well, how much more would we need those things because none of us are perfect? We need better communication with God and better power of the Holy Spirit and better affirmation from God than Jesus ever needed. We need to have that in our life. And you go to the next chapter, you go to Matthew 4, and you quickly understand why Jesus needed to hear God and to have power and to hear affirmation from God. Because in Matthew 4, verse 1, it starts and it says, and then the very next chapter, it, it opens and it says, and then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. Jesus had just been baptized, and now he's been led by God into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil. Now, some of you might be thinking, does that happen after I'm baptized? I don't know about this one. See, there's no need to worry about that because all of you have been wrestling with the enemy from the day you were born. There ain't nothing new that the enemy's going to start tempting you today. He's been doing that your entire life. See, the important thing to remember about Jesus going into the wilderness is that he resisted the evil one, and he was able to overcome the lies of the evil one. Jesus was able to overcome the lies of the enemy because he had greater communication with the Father, he had the power of the Holy Spirit, and he had the affirmation, the confidence to know who he was and what God had called him to do. That's the way Jesus was able to give through the wilderness is because he had received the baptism. And that was a powerful thing in his life. See, the point isn't that he had to wrestle with the enemy, that he was tempted by the enemy. The point is that Jesus had victory over his enemies. And Jesus received the victory that he needed over his enemies through the baptism. See, Jesus needed the power of baptism to equip him for the task that God had called him to do. And he needed the power of God so he could break through any resistance that the enemy would have set against him. Jesus, the timing of Jesus' baptism was strategic for the ministry that he had called him to do. And look what the enemy said to Jesus. Jesus is baptized in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. The enemy says to Jesus in Matthew 4 verse 3. I didn't do that one. The enemy said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, Notice what the enemy said to Jesus. He said, if you are the Son of God. Wait a minute. The chapter before, when Jesus was baptized, God said to him, you are my my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And what does the enemy come and say to Jesus? Is that really who you are? Did God say that you really are the Son of God? See, what the enemy does when he comes in our life is he tries to get us to doubt our relationship with God. That's the first thing that the enemy did when he came against Jesus. He made him try to get him to question who he was. Try to get him to question his identity. He questioned his position with God. That's the first thing that the enemy said. Who do you really think you are? See, Satan's strategy is always to get us to doubt the Word of God, to always make us doubt what is written in the Bible. Remember what he did to Adam and Eve. He went to Adam and Eve and he said, did God really say that? He made him question the Word of God. And what, Adam said to Adam, and what Satan said to Adam and Eve was basically, maybe God's holding out on you. Maybe there's something better you could have that he's not giving to you. See, I think that's why Jesus was baptized a chapter before he went into the wilderness. So he had the power of the Holy Spirit and he'd have the confirmation of who he was so he could resist the lies of the enemy because he knew who he was, he knew what God had called him to do, and they had the power and the affirmation from God. See, baptism is a reminder to each of us of our position with God because of Christ. Baptism is a reminder to each of us 
that the heavens are open for us and that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have the affirmation of God. See, because of the cross, because of Jesus dying on the cross, because of substitution, because we acknowledge before God that we are sinners and we need a Savior, He forgives us and now we are hidden in Christ. See, that's what happens when we become believers. We become hidden in Christ. We become hidden in his righteousness. Because we are hidden in Christ, we are now free from the lies of the enemy. See, Jesus defeated the enemy in the wilderness because he knew his position. And I believe that's what happens to us too when we get baptized. It helps solidify who we are in Christ so that we can defeat any lie that the enemy has set up against us. See, the truth is, most people live with a lot of hurt and a lot of rejection and a lot of shame and a lot of disappointment. And the enemy likes to come in and to remind people of that. He likes to remind people of their past or maybe their failures, or what they're not good at, or remind them of their struggle. And he does this over and over and over again to the point where we start to live a life of no expectation. We live a life not expecting anything's going to change. We don't expect breakthrough. We don't expect to overcome. We think, I'll always be that way. Or I'll never change. Or I always have to drag that along with me. We think our past defines us. And the enemy likes to remind us of our past. He likes to remind us of our failures. And it's just destructive. Because it makes us believe nothing can change. And that's why God gives us baptism. He gives us baptism is a reminder or a picture of what Jesus has done in our life. That because Jesus died on the cross, we can let our past die as well. We can let our old nature die as well. We can let our old struggles die. And those shameful things that we're carrying around, our insecurities or our doubts, we can go into baptism and say, I'm going to let those stay in the water. I'm going to leave those there. And Jesus doesn't hold us underwater for too long. Just a little second, because that's all it takes. That's all it takes for a lifetime of junk in the name of Jesus is one little second underwater. That's all it takes. And then you just come up into this new life that God has for you. That's the beautiful picture of baptism, of what God wants to do. And that's the expectation of baptism, that God can renew us and restore us 
and he sets us free. And we can go out of baptism with a new confidence to know that I am a child of God who he is well pleased with because of Jesus' righteousness. See, the enemy loves to condemn when you come out of baptism. Some of you have been baptized and you're like, I don't know if I feel that different. I'm still having some of these same old struggles. But then it's good to remind you what happened when Jesus was baptized, that God says, you are my beloved, who I am well pleased, because you are hidden in Christ. That's the power of baptism, is that we are children of God, and he's well pleased with us, and the lies of the enemy have to stay in the water of baptism. They don't get to follow us out. We dry off, and we're renewed, and we're restored. And that's the picture and the power of baptism. So some of you getting baptized today, I'm encouraging you, come today with expectation that things are going to change, that there is something that is going to change. If it was significant for Jesus, it's going to be significant for the 10 of you. And maybe some of you that were baptized before, remember what baptism is about. Maybe you're baptized before, but you kind of feel like you're swimming in that dirty water again. Get out of it. Remember what Christ has done for you. And maybe some of you are here today saying, maybe I should be baptized. I ask you those two questions. You know, if you're feeling sense or want to get baptized, come talk to me afterwards or talk to Ron or Dave and Sheila or Tom and Gail, talk to one of the leaders of the church and ask us questions. Maybe it's your time today. I don't want to make any of you feel like you have to do it today. Maybe you want your parents or someone special to be here with you today, so we'll, we'll do this again. But I want you to think about it. Maybe God is inviting you to come to be baptized, to have that experience It's a beautiful picture. And to have that expectation. And you know, I too, I want to be sensitive. Maybe some of you, maybe there's someone here that you're like, you're not physically able to get baptized. Like you're like, I, I couldn't get in that, that water tank. It, it won't be possible. Or maybe you have a medical condition that you can't get your ears wet. I, I don't know. Grasping up here. But I just want you to know that we will accommodate to help you become baptized in any way that we can. You know, yeah, submersion's good. That's the way they did it. But we can accommodate if there's a medical reason why or there's, you know, we want to help you. So don't ever think, I don't know about that one. I, that, that's not available for me. Talk to me. Talk to Dave and Sheila or Tom and Gail or Ron. You know, we want to help. I want to help you. We don't ever want, never, Um, we don't want to put any barriers between you and baptism. We want to help remove any barriers that would exist between you and baptism because it's a powerful thing. It's an awesome thing.